We are live in the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse at 67 East 11th Street in the landmark cast iron building, Greenwich Village, City of New York. We start tonight as we always do. To those of you who are here for the first time, welcome. To those who have been here before, welcome home. Uh, tonight, I have a very easy job. All I have to do is introduce the most, uh, our most popular event of the year, an inside-the-clubhouse look at baseball scouting, led and moderated by the one and only Lee Lowenfish. Lee, take it away. Well, for, the, for those of you listening on the podcast, it's a very cold night in New York, and uh, I feel like I'm sitting at the, in front of the dugout, you know, with a, 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 all the dignitaries on the field with this great audience. I'm looking at the, the wonderful sign of the Yankee Stadium station for the subway and also Willits Point, and we have a, a panel tonight, uh, two of whom were here two years ago, and let me introduce them. Uh, uh, my oldest friend in the scouting community is on my left, Billy Blitzer of the Chicago Cubs. He hails from Brighton Beach, Brooklyn, graduated from Abraham Lincoln High School, where he was a teammate, among other players, of Lee Mazzilli. He went on to Hunter College, where he may have been, at, one, at, at the end of his career, the youngest player uh, coach in college baseball history. Billy, this next season, will enter his 32nd year as a Cubs scout. He is now a pro scout covering many minor leagues in the Northeast and the South. Among his signings when he was an amateur scout was the future 269 game winner, Jamie Moyer, and two years earlier, in, in, in 1982, he signed Sean Dunstan uh, from Thomas Jefferson High School in Brooklyn, who was the number one pick in the nation, a few picks ahead of Dwight Gooden. Another re uh, return panelist is Joe Rigoli, who also is starting his 32nd year with one organization. This is remarkable in the, the changes that go on in baseball. And these, these guys are the core of baseball and the backbone. And, as, and I'm so glad that Jay has opened up uh, this, uh, this clubhouse to, to, to talking with these people because uh, you don't have uh, any successful organization without, without fellows like this. Joe is the pride of Suffern, New York. He uh, went to Fairleigh Dickinson in, T in Teaneck, uh, and uh, he pitched for the Oak uh, he caught for the Oakland A's uh, in the minor leagues. And I just found out from Billy tonight he also was the bullpen co um, uh, uh, coach for the Phillies uh, for a couple of years. Uh, uh, among his signings are Jason Mott, who was signed out of Iona College in the 19th round in 2003 as a catcher, and he became the closer uh, that in the World Series uh, uh, year of the Cardinals uh, uh, in 2011. His favorite signing is Super Joe McEwing in the 28th round out of Bristol, Pennsylvania in 1992. Uh, McEwing played for the Cardinals, the Mets. He's now the uh, White Sox third base coach and quite possibly a future manager. Our newbie on the panel is Dennis Sheen, who is currently the Northeast Scouting Supervisor for another uh, impressive organization, the Atlanta Braves. He's worked as a scout for the Florida, now Miami Marlins, the Detroit Tigers, and the Kansas City Royals. 
as a college player, he blew out his knee days before he would have signed with the Cincinnati Reds. He bounced back from that devastating injury to coach successful high school teams in Kingston, New York. And in 1996, he led Ulster Community, uh, Community College to the College World Series. His first signing that made the big leagues was Jeff Fulcino, the big right-hander who signed in the eighth round in 2001. And he's proud to say that during the All-Star Game festivities, he met Raleigh Fingers and had a picture taken with the Hall of Famer, <laughs> which is in his cell phone. And I think Raleigh has met his match. And for those of you listening on the podcast, uh, it, it is a, it's a stash to, to just dream about. <laughs> impressive. It? Impressive. <laughs> impressive. Well, it, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to have you here again and, and to welcome you here, Dennis. It's pretty rare that you can find a night in your busy lives to, to uh, I mean, have you computed how many miles you've traveled or how many days you were away from home this year? Personally, yeah. I was in the hotel this year 157 days so right. far. Wow. We're trying to get him out to see more games. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 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 in, in how about you, Billy? You know, you you've been you you're uh, since you're rising up the uh, the, the, the territory uh, of the organization. You you've pretty much kept yourself in the northeast and south this year. Yeah, we we did that, but this coming year we're going back to scouting organizations. I'm on the pro side where I scout the big leagues and the minor leagues and. By doing organizations this coming year, I'll have the Mets, the Phillies, and the Orioles. So you're going to see the big league, triple-A, double-A, high-A, and low-A. And that's going to take you around rather than out of the northeast. For instance, the Mets triple-A club is in Las Vegas. And then the double-A team's in Binghamton, and they have a team in Savannah. So with the Mets, you're all over the map. I'm just praying that they move to Syracuse next year. (laughs) Make it a little easier. But it, it's it, the organization is the key, though, over the years. And, and you know, Joe, for 32 years in that organization, I mean, you you must take pride, and they must take a lot of pride in you for turning out contending teams year after year. We've had a lot of success. I mean, the St. Louis Cardinals and uh, John Moselock is our general manager now. He's done a fantastic job of, of leading us the last few years and uh, developing a minor league system where. You know, it can supplement any players that we need at the big league level. And so, uh, no, it, it's it's good organization. It's been good to me, and uh, like I say, I've worked with them. So, I'm either doing a good job or nobody else wants me, one or the other. <laughs> no. Well, the two of you, too, have an interesting background that you both were mentored by Ralph DeLulo in the Scouting Bureau. You want to talk a little bit about that experience and how it made you into what you are now? Well, I, I was Ralph's protege. Uh, he found me. I was in college, and I was coaching a Sandlot team in Brooklyn. And this old man sat down next to me while I was waiting for my game. We had the next game. And he just started to chat with me. And he said, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm going to be coaching the next game. He said, okay, I'm going to watch. I never knew who he was. It was the very first year of the Major League Scouting Bureau. And when the game was over, I was packing the bats and all the equipment. And he came over to me and he said, I want to talk to you. Upset about what? Again, I had no idea who he was. And he said, my name's Ralph DeLulo. I'm a scout with the Major League Scouting Bureau. And I said, what's that? And I was up on everything, but I never heard of the Scouting Bureau because it was the first year. 
So I said, do you want to talk to me about my shortstop? Because my shortstop later played in the big leagues. He had a cup of coffee. His name was Willie Lozado. And he got to the big leagues with the Brewers. He says, no, I want to talk to you about yourself. I said, why? He said, you're coaching kids your own age. I was maybe two years older than the players that I was coaching. He says, you seem to know what you're doing. Okay. I'd like to come next week and we'll do the same thing. He said, I'm going to call you during the week. Find out what time your game is. I want you to meet me again before your game, and we'll sit and watch a game together. And I said, how come? And he says, don't worry. I, and I, I didn't believe him that he was going to call me. I went home, told my parents that this, this man said to me he was a scout. He wants to meet me. Why? I don't know. And the following week, Ralph did call me. I met him again, and he started pointing things out to me, what to look for. And he says to me, okay, you seem to know everybody that plays here in the parade grounds. You're going to set up a tryout camp for me. And that's what I did, and that's how I first got involved. I, I ran all the tryout camps. Ralph used to hold camps in Jersey and Long Island and Brooklyn and wherever. And, and uh, I was in college, and here I was an associate scout for him. And, and that's how I started. I tell everybody I came in the back door. But he saw something in me that I don't know what he, what he had seen. But... Uh, Ralph was my mentor, and and that's how I began my career. And Ralph was had a couple of rather uh, good good nicknames, Corp and, Corp and, and the Jet. And the Jet. Yeah. Uh, talk about those. Uh, well, you know, Ralph was instrumental with a lot of people in baseball. Yeah. And, you know, we called him the grandfather and godfather of scouting, and uh, you know, he he started uh, with me actually instrumental in signing and getting with the Major League Scouting Bureau signing contract and then afterwards uh, when I got to scouting he again you know he mentored all of us and he helped mentor me and uh, I think in, in his case I managed some in the minor leagues and Ralph did as well so we saw that you know I, my career going from player to manager to scout uh, also saw he saw that in himself as well so uh, you know we've, I've got a lot of thankful uh, <clears throat> a lot of things to be thankful for and one of them certainly is Ralph DeLue and what he's done for Billy, myself, and, and all of the scouts in the Northeast. Uh, but, yeah, no, he had a lot of nicknames, and one of them was the Jet because he'd go to games. He'd go to four or five games a day. Every time you'd look up, you'd see Ralph DeLue. So he says, how'd you get here? By Jet? And, then, you know, he, 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 that was one of the things, and also his nickname was uh, Corp as well. But uh, Because his, uh, he was from Italy. He came here. His father was killed in World War One. His father was a corporal, I think, yep. in the Italian arm, army, and that's how the nickname Corp came to Ralph. And then it would, was he a minor league catcher, too? Uh, yeah, he was a catcher. Yeah. And, and I'm going to tell you another story, just a quick story as far as he was known as the Jet. The very first year that I went to my uh, organization meeting with the Major League Scouting Bureau, Ralph says to me, come on, we'll go out to California a couple of days early. We had to go to Arizona for the meetings. He says, and we're going to go see the Dodgers play and the Angels. He says, uh, we'll go see Campana because he was from Brooklyn. And he says, Lasorda's a good friend of mine. Now, Ralph used to tell me stories. He knew this one and that one. And I, I never used to believe him at first. But I, the first time where I began to believe him, we went here to the uh, sports writers' dinner. And Ralph says to me, oh, Jim Bunning's going to be there. I was his first minor league manager. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, he doesn't know you. And we went into this special pre-dinner party. And as soon as we walked through the door, 
Jim Bunning was on the other side of the room talking to somebody, and he stopped and came running across, and he threw his arms out. He said, skip, skip, and he hugged Ralph, and that's when I first started to believe him. <laughs> but going back to the other story, was we go out to California, we go to the Dodger game, and we're watching batting practice. And Ralph's looking around, he says, I don't see Lasorda. So Jay Johnstone, who you know is a little bit of a flake, comes out of the dugout to go hit. And Ralph goes, hey, you. And that's the way Ralph was. He goes, where's Lasorda? He goes, he's in the clubhouse. He says, just tell him the jet is here. And then I looked at him. I said, Ralph, he's not going to know. He says, he'll know, he'll know. John, John Stone looked at him, and Ralph goes, go ahead, go ahead. Go out and go get him. So John Stone comes back. He says, he'll be right up. And not two minutes later, you heard a voice, and it was Tommy Lasorda walking through the tunnel, and all he said was, hey, Ralph, where are you? He never told him, Ralph DeLulo was here. He said the jet was here, but it was Tommy. He knew exactly who it was. So that's, that's the way he was known. Dennis, did you have mentors coming through uh, as a scout? Yeah, I'm sitting next to him right here. Uh-huh. <laughs> Joe Rigoli, uh, you know, it's funny. The way I got into the game is through Joe. Joe drafted one of my players at the community college, and uh, he, he knew that I was interested in becoming an associate scout and getting more involved in the game and stuff. So he spread the word to a guy named Will George who... Again, drafted another one of my players, and one thing led to the next. And uh, fortunately, I've been doing it. You know, I'm sitting here next to these guys. It's great. If if we were at a game with you, and uh, that's a nice fan fantasy on a night like this, where I mean, you got the right idea. Oh, you took your coat off. And, uh, if we were at a game with you, uh, what? First of all, would you talk to to acquaintances, or would you concentrate on the game, or or, or what what would you look for uh, at a game? I mean, that's a huge question. <laughs> I know. Well, put it this way: the first thing that we do is watch guys walk out of the dugout, how they're dressed, how they stretch, how do they throw before everything starts. And we could be having the same, we could be having a conversation. Why that's going on? We're just making mental notes, and you know, seeing how their arm works on infielders. How easy does his arm work? How you know does he have to strain to throw the ball? How well his feet work around and the hands and everything before BP. <coughs> and then, like I said, we could have we, you could be talking to the next person or anybody watching, and what happens over time, you become in tune to say, hey. Number three, when you watch him take infield, outfield, where does what position does he go to? And you pay more attention as it goes on. That's the way it starts. For me, anyway. I'm sure, you know, these guys are on the pro side now. They do the same thing. Because I do strictly amateur stuff. You know, I, the, the thrill, the, the chase, the hunt is what I do. These guys now are, in, I hate to say it this way, but they're more in a rocking chair looking for trades for the big league club. You know, and they'll tell you what to, what it's like, the difference between the thrill of going after and signing the one player and the thrill of the trade for that one player to win today. Now, you signed... I was looking up Fulcino, who was the first one that made the majors. Was he... He's huge guy. I mean, did, did, did Six, you... 6'5", 245 out of, out of college. His hand was big enough that he could put a ball in it and close his hand and you wouldn't know 
ball was in his hand. Not only was he my first guy to get to the big leagues, he's the first guy that I drafted. Mm. So that's a, one of the records I'm proud of. Now, and he's an independent ball. He still, he still has... Yeah, he had a shoulder operation uh, last winter. He tried to come back, and he wasn't ready. He came back and played at Bridgeport last summer, the end of last summer, and uh, he's a free agent right now. Your story on Jamie Moyer is is one of the great stories. Although he was he, he was a uh, pretty high round draft pick. I mean, sixth round is not it's not shabby. But uh, how, how many times did you see him before you you uh, you met you wrote your report? Oh, uh, the first time I laid eyes on him was I went to a Labor Day tournament in York, Pennsylvania, and what drew me to him was in this particular tournament you have some ex minor league players and you have some older players. And he was uh, 20 years old, and he knew how to pitch. He knew how to get hitters out. He made adjustments. He didn't throw hard then either, but he threw harder than he finished his career up. But I'll say at that point in time, he threw maybe 86, 87 miles an hour, where everybody was still looking you know, for 99 or better. But he would make adjustments on the mound. If his curveball wasn't working, he would go with the change, or he'd spot his fastball, and he'd keep the hitters off balance. So I saw him once then and during Labor Day, and I made it my business to go see him in the spring. And St. Joe's, he went to St. Joe's in, out of Philadelphia, St. Joe's University. And uh, their first game was at the University of Central Florida. And there were four scouts there. Myself, Tony DeMacio, who's now the scouting director of the Atlanta Braves. It was the first game Tony ever went to. He had just become a scout. Ben McClure then was with the Toronto Blue Jays and Brad Kohler with the Major League Scouting Bureau. So the four of us were there, and he pitched a pretty good ball game that day. And Brad Kohler puts a report in with the Bureau, so everybody gets it. So then we went to the next game he pitched, and that game was in Lakeland, Florida. They were playing Florida Southern on a Saturday morning. I'll never forget it because I tell the story all the time. And at the beginning of the game, there must have been... 30 to 40 scouts and it was the old stadium where the Detroit Tigers used to have spring training and we had lawn chairs there because you didn't have uh, stadium chairs in those old stadiums in the front and in the very first inning Jamie gave up a base hit he walked the next hitter the next play was a ground ball to the second baseman and went through his legs so now it's bases loaded, no outs and the next hitter hits a grand slam over the right field fence He's down 4 nothing, and he doesn't even have an out yet. And he gets out of the inning, and by the third inning, I look to my right, there's not one scout there. I look to my left, there's nobody there. I'm there all by my lonesome self. The scouts looked at their radar guns. They saw he didn't throw that hard. He got whacked around in the first inning because of what went on. And there was nobody there. But I stayed because I liked this kid. There was something about him that I liked. I wanted to see him pitch in adversity. I wanted to see how he responded. And you wouldn't believe it. He went nine innings that day and didn't give up another run. But I was the only one there to see it. And years later, when Jamie was in the big leagues, he said to me, we were talking about that day, and he says to me, why'd you stay? Everybody else left. You know, as a player, you're looking around and you say, hey, where are you going? You know, <laughs> stay. I, I want to perform for you. And he said to me, why Why did you stay? I said, I wasn't smart enough. I had no place else to go. 
but I really stayed. I wanted to. I wanted to see see him pitch. Is it a good rule of thumb that you really want to see a pitcher work through adversity? You don't. I mean, a guy strikes out eighteen against inferior opposition is not going to. Uh, oh, absolutely. You, you don't learn much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Joe will tell you, and Dennis will tell you. We can go to a high school game and, and see a pitcher strike out 15, 16 hitters, and he's never in any problems. You don't know what's in here. You don't know if he's going to battle back and how he's going to respond to getting whacked around. So, you know, you want to see it. Actually, during the ball game, you might want to root for somebody to get on base and have him get into trouble so you could see how he responds. You had a similar story with Joe McEwing, too, didn't you? I mean, in terms of... I mean, he he sunk deep in the draft, but you know, you you saw him in a lot of different situations. And no, I did, but I, I actually have a better one than that, to be honest with you, about a player who made it to the big leagues for a very short time. Let me just adjust my rocking chair here. <laughs> I know. Let me say one other thing, though. Prior to that, though, uh, you know, with Billy's story, because I think it's a good story. You know, uh, it's a great story. You know, for for uh, Jamie Moyer, and you do want to see a pitcher, especially a pitcher, go through adversity. But I don't want to think about the other three scouts leaving, like you know, they're going home. You know, one of the things that we do as scouts when we make up our schedule is that you make up how many games are going on that day, and to try to see as many kids as you can. A lot of times, oh, I've never seen scouts at our games. You may have, yeah. but he may not have stayed. Because maybe they, you know, they, they saw what they needed to see, and they went to see some somebody else. But and there'd be other games that they probably stayed that maybe they saw myself leave to go to a different game. Because especially like in the springtime, you'll have a, a colleges will start their game at two o'clock, and you'll see a game at two o'clock, and then go to a high school game at four. So you'd want to coordinate all your schedules and see. So, uh, so sometimes you would leave a game, and I know Billy's. Not, you know, these guys aren't no. going home. No, no. no. We're, when we're down in Florida, we see four or five games a day. Yeah. We leave that hotel at eight o'clock in the morning and don't come back till midnight because we're trying to see as many teams as we can, especially from the Northeast. We're trying to get all these schools in. So, but they left because he was getting hit around pretty good. But they had someplace else to go. But another player that I signed uh, out of uh, Dominican College in New York, in Blauville. It's a small Division II college, and uh, there was a player there that was on my list to see years ago in the early 90s, and his name is Frank Cimarelli, and he played in the big leagues. You can look him up. Not a big, not a big long career, but I kept saying, I kept calling him up. You know, he was, I kind of knew he was kind of up, up there, and Frank, when he was pitching Saturday, or you know, tell me when he was pitching, I said, he's like, I can't go to that game. I have another one scheduled. I have another one scheduled. And I kept kind of putting him off a little bit. Well, his schedule ran out. And I said, Frank, don't worry. I'm going to come see you. Who are you going to play for? Like, the college season ends usually in early part of May. And the draft wasn't until June. So I planned on seeing him again. Couldn't see him. I was assigned a regional tournament. Couldn't see him again. It was the day before the draft. The day before the draft. I finally said, and this is going back to where you could actually scout right up until that last day. And I saw him pitch. I had seen him in previous years, but I hadn't yet seen him this year. And I really, to me, I just wanted to see that he was healthy. Because I, you know, I watched him had in pre three previous years. And uh, the day before the draft, uh, I went to his, his summer league game, and he was down six to nothing in the fifth inning, and he got taken out. And I stayed after the game. I knew that if I left, he would have really been dejected. Geez, I finally got the scout to come see me pitch, and I 
kind of didn't do well. So I, I said, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay for the rest of the game and talk to him afterwards. And I did. I, I waited, and he came, had kind of his head down. I says, hey, don't be dejected. I'm still going to put you in. I still like what I saw. You just got the ball up a little bit. You know, but stay positive. I mean, I don't know if you're going to get drafted because that's another thing people don't realize that you're scouting, you're playing, you're performing against the unknown because you don't know if there's a better pitcher in another state in another part of the country. So I said, let's let's see how the draft works out. Well, he ended up in the in the uh, like in the rounds in the fifties or whatever, but we ended up taking him and. He got to the big leagues. But after when I went to sign him, he says, "There's no way I thought you were going to draft me because of the the outing that I had." But you see something there. You see the health. You see the mechanics. You see the the dedication that he put through, and, uh, and I think that was a, a real testament to his perseverance, and maybe a little bit to mine, but certainly to his that he wasn't going to give up. You know, Moyer has done a book with with that's dedicated to Harvey Dorfman. That's I've read. That's really Dorfman was the, one of the first of the sports psychologists, who was a kid from the Bronx who was very sickly, had asthma, and he he willed himself, uh, became a baseball fan on the you know listening to the radio and became a soccer goalie and and became really with the mental uh, game of baseball and the ABCs of baseball that he wrote with a baseball scout you know Carl Keel yeah. the late Carl Keel. And I bring it up because it it, uh, it would seem with the attention being played now and the money that's out there that uh, this, uh, the, the mentality is so important in an athlete. I mean, I don't know, was it Yogi who said that 90% of baseball is half mental? It may be more, you know. I mean, are, are you, it's, you agree with that, that, that you've really got to look in as much as you can into how a guy's going to... Uh, uh, respond to being uh, knocked around? <laughs> uh, I think the mental part is very important, okay? And But there's also just so far we can draw from to actually see. Yeah. We can see perseverance, we can see the drive, but there's also that element that we don't know how that person's going to react once he does go out and pitch or play professionally. Because he's going to be playing against now all of the better players that have been drafted and signed, and you don't know how they're going to react there. You hope that I'd like to be able to know that I, when I've signed a player that, you know, mentally, you hear the term all the time, mentally tough. Okay, are they going to, not that when things are going well, but they can handle it when things are going poorly. And they're going to be away from home in the minor leagues. They're going to be, you know, when you talk about a collegiate boy as opposed to maybe a high school player. You know, he's, he's been on his own a little bit, been in the dormitories, kind of lived a little bit away from home that, you know, his maturity level might be a little bit better than somebody who's 18 coming out of high school. That's a concern. But I've met 18-year-olds that acted a lot better than the college. They, they thought it was an extension of college and, you know, didn't take advantage of the opportunity that was given to them. But I think that all scouts have a feel for that mental aspect of the game and hope that when they've signed them that that mental aspect that they've seen continues and translates you know when that person's away from home but there is that unknown factor that yeah. we really don't know how exactly it's going to play out at least in my you know uh, another way of maybe asking that question is that some scouts have said you don't you're not really a scout until you fail 
I mean, a scout until yeah, you fail. Yeah, I mean that you're not until you you say like, well, like J. W. Porter was evidently the best kid coming out of Oakland with with Robinson and Pinson and Harper and all those guys, Joe Morgan, and he never made it. Now he had a, a tremendous trauma in the family. I think the parents were killed and stuff, and and then you know, you know it's. Uh, uh, I, I just heard that one uh, oh with, with the Orioles scout Jim Fuller was supposed to be the old Orioles scouts of those great teams in the seventies. He was supposed to be the uh, the uh, uh, the can't miss, and he missed. There were plenty of first round picks that don't make it, and plenty of players that weren't drafted that do make it. So it's not an exact science. Yeah. We all make mistakes, and one of the uh, I'm asked at times. Who were some of the players you missed on? And one was a local kid. He went to Zavarian High School in Brooklyn, which is right near my house. He went to St. John's, which I must have seen him play plenty. Rich Aurelia. Rich Aurelia couldn't hit a lick. I'm serious. He couldn't hit. Bobby Purchase is sitting there. He knows it. Rich couldn't hit. And then the he was drafted out of St. John's. He played shortstop. He had a pretty good glove. But he was drafted by two scouts. But with the Texas Rangers, Omar Minaya was the scout, and Brian Lamb, and they signed him. And the kid went out his first year, and he made some sort of adjustment with the bat. And the kid never hit under like 350 his entire minor league career. And I used to kid him, not the kid. I used to see Omar and Brian along the way. I said, "Would you sprinkle fairy dust on this kid when you signed him?" And he went out, and he had an all-star career. I mean, so we miss kids. Yeah. And like I said, there are plenty of first-round picks. And when you say a first-round pick, your scouting director sees him, your national cross-checkers see him, your other cross-checkers, it's not one person's pick. There must be five or six or seven people in that organization that will see that particular player and not one time, over and over again. You're not making a first-round pick on, on one or two looks. So, I mean, it happens. We all make mistakes. And I think that what you had said there about a failing, I think that's maybe that's kind of takes the connotation of actually failed on the player, but I mean, I think that any scout would tell you that, you know, you, if you sign enough players, I mean, you're going to, you're, they're not all going to make the major leagues, and yeah. if that's, if that's the ultimate fail or success, that, you know, you didn't make the major leagues, therefore it was kind of a failure, we've all failed in some, because I've, many more of my players did not get to the major leagues than got to the major leagues, and if you're willing to put your reputation or your evaluation on the line to recommend players, you are going to fail. I mean, it is business. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you made that point because one of the cliches about scouting since I've been reading about it for decades is that 92% or more than 90% fail. I mean, and if, if I mean, not you have a good career, get to the AAA maybe, that's not failure, but in terms of getting to the highest level. Now, it, is there or is, is that an absolute or is there a way that you can develop players better that the rate, let's say, becomes 88% instead of 92%. Well, you know, every year, you, with about 1,000 players come into the system, 1,500 are drafted, let's say, 1,000 players come into the system. That means 1,000 players have to be released. It's very hard. Yeah. You know, there's no way. You're constantly turning over. So it's very difficult to say you're going to get 80 or 90% of your players are going to make the major leagues. But... I'll give you a good example. You never tell a scout, why the hell did you draft that guy? He can't play. Because you never know who's going to get there. And I'll give you a good example. My friend here drafts Jason Mott out of Iona College. 
and we'd sit at games together, and Jason would catch, and he had a hell of an arm. But he couldn't hit you if you walked across home plate. <laughs> he couldn't hit a lick. And, and Joe drafts him, what, 19th round? And I call him up. I said, Joe, what'd you do? I said, that kid can't hit. He can catch and throw. He really can throw. Matter of fact, a pitcher would have to get off the mound when he'd throw down the second base because his throws were about that high off the ground and he would throw bullets down the second base. So I called him up and I said, Joe, he can't hit a lick. He'll never get out of rookie ball. And Joe says to me, that's okay. I said, what do you mean it's okay? He's going to get released after a year. He says, after the year, we're going to take him and stick him on the mound. Joe had a plan. He says, we're going to let him catch and get it out of his system. And then, No, it's the truth, because a lot of times the kids won't sign. They, want to, they think they're hitters or they're position players. But we might know a little better, you know, where the player fits on the field. So you sign them and you tell them, okay, there's no problem. Joe might have brought it up in the conversation when he went to sign them that maybe one day we'll stick you on the mound. But after the, what do you catch, a year and a half? A year and a half, they they said to him, okay, we're going to send you instructional league and put you on the mound. And they sent him back to the New York Penn League to start the pitch. And within two years, he's in St. Louis. So he had a plan. So that's why I said, you never tell a scout, what are you doing? Why'd you draft that guy? Because you don't know what's going to click. Like I said with Richard Ilya. There are adjustments made, and, and something may click with that player, and the guy gets to the big leagues. I think going back to your point, you know, and you know, the question earlier about you know, scouting, and we're colleagues. I, mean, I know a lot of the scouts at a ball game, and including Billy. We, we, I, I own a games, and we have a lot of games, and we can say things afterwards. But you know each other from being in the business. But one of the things I think most of us don't do, and that is tell a person, of my evaluation. I mean, we're, we're colleagues. Yeah. We know each other. How Not things go over. But we're, you know, we may see the player in two different lights. That's all. He may like a player. I may love a player. I may not like a player. He walks away. And that's okay because that's his opinion. But we're not going to really share that. I may... Yeah. You know, I'm not going to tell them how much I like a player because we're going to fight for that player in the draft. Yeah, now, on the pro side, yeah. not that much, but I mean, Dennis could certainly speak on that as well as far as you know, being in the draft and liking a player. I know when I went to a ball game that I asked earlier, I was hoping that nobody was paying attention because that would be better for me, you know. But, uh, you know, it's the same. But I know that they are in their own way. They don't have to, you know, they can walk on the side and look, get different looks, different angles at a player. But... Uh, Scouts in general, we're not going to be sharing our all of our thoughts about a player. You know, we may know each other like you would know. You know, different companies know all their sales reps, but they're not going to tell them what they're what they're. We'll share are. the information after the draft. Yeah, we'll say what'd you think about him, where yeah. you have him, but not before. I mean, it, it, the comp, the competition is real, but it's tame compared to what the scouts did before the draft. Oh. <laughs> I mean, those stories are unbelievable. Yeah, Dennis, on that same note. Uh, two years ago, I was in Florida covering the Canadian national team, and there was a matchup of a pitcher uh, out of a community college and a hitter out of a community college. It was 25, 30 scouts there. And I'm in Florida, and I, my cross-checker went because of the pitcher for the one team. I says, pay attention to the third baseman on this other team. To me, he's a guy. I like him a lot. I like him a lot. Well, we end up drafting the kid in the 10th round. The pitcher went in the 15th round. After the draft, 
or right after we took the person, I got about eight phone calls. Where the hell did you see that guy? I said, well, it happened to be from my hometown, so I knew the kid since he grew up. But I said to him, you were at the same game with my cross-checker, and he didn't pay attention. He played against him. He went over 3, but hit three line drives the outfield. The kid on the mound was 91 to 95, and he turned around three times. And he called, where'd you see him? I said, you saw him. You were at the game. I know you were at the game. You saw him. You just didn't pay attention because they were there to see the pitcher. And he didn't get any hits, but he hit the ball hard. Yeah. I mean, what this evening is about is learning to see. And, you know, it is not... It is not easy, you know. It is a, it's, and it's a, one of the great, the great skills, you know. One of the things, interrupt you. One of the things I compare it to is art. We all can look at a picture. We can look at a picture of Mickey Mantle up there. Half of us would like it. Half of us wouldn't like it. That's what our profession is. We're we, you know, we're art critics. This this baseball player is an artist. Where do we like him? At what level? Mm. I don't want to talk to anybody who doesn't like that picture. <laughs> and I, and I, and I can't draw good stick figures, so I appreciate the artistry of that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one thing you had kind of an industry-wide uh, percentage of make the major leagues, but if you want an industry-wide or go club by club, and I want to work for that club that wants low-paid players because they're going to move guys through their system. Right? Mm. They want their... Uh, to me, you know, the, you know, a lot of the clubs, you know the clubs, I mean, the Yankees, they were always, it was tough if you were a minor leaguer in the Yankees. They had veteran players all the time, you know? Well, the thing, your organization has, starting with Branch Rickey and then with Kissel, who... George Kissel. Kid, and, the, and Hub Kittle, and, and uh, who, I think, turned Bruce Souter into a reliever. I mean, you're... you're uh, your uh, organization's been amazing. I mean, you've stressed, stressed switch hitting... You know, you've developed a lot of switch hitters in your organization. And yeah, no, they have. I mean, I've been fortunate to be on the player development side and the scouting side, and I think that there has to be a, a marriage of those two because the scouts and the scouting department are going to draft players and the player development department is going to develop those players. And they really can't be at odds with one another. You know, it's the old idea that we have to be pulling in the same direction, yeah. you know, and you're only as strong as your weakest link. And, you know, all those cliches that we, we hear about, you know, are, are somewhat true in the fact that we all have to be moving in the same direction. And uh, right now, you know, we've been told that, or we've been, all the third-party publications about the model organization, we're having that success, and, and, and we appreciate that. But uh, we believe in scouting. A lot of clubs believe in scouting. There are a lot of clubs out there that have a lot of good ball players, and we've been fortunate enough to, to have some success. So, uh we're, we're enjoying it, and, and hopefully that it will continue. And you were the first club to create the Office of Decision Sciences, right? Uh, yeah, I believe we did. Yeah, and then and he moved to Houston, so, you know, a lot of people... And, you know, one, one of the nice things about being here tonight is that uh, uh, I was here in the summer, uh, and Dennis... You finally found the place in the summer. <laughs> and uh, through Baseball Prospectus, we had a forum with Don Welke, who, uh, and Baseball Prospectus is, is, is writing a lot of articles on scouts now. I mean, they're very stat-oriented, but 
this war between stats and scouts was it was always overblown, and it, and it, it's an unnecessary war because you've got to have them both, you know. But I mean, where I'm, I side on the traditional scouts myself because you know you know the, the, they're coming up with so many new statistics that uh, people are you or too many people are reading computer printouts and not watching the game. It seems. There's got to be a balance, but we're not very good at creating balances in this country. But I'm glad that, that there's, as we, we know. But um, the um, one of the things that Welke said this summer, uh, and I'd like to throw it out for your opinion, uh, he used to think that 75% of scouting was talent and 25% was makeup, you know, the mental side. He now thinks it's almost... 50-50 or 55-45. Do you, do, you, do you tend to agree with that That makeup and the mental side is more and more important? I don't think there's any question of it because, you know, baseball is a game of failure. How well are you going to handle it? You know, are, are, do you have enough mental toughness to go over 40 and come back and perform well? Or if you're going to go over 40 and that's it. So, you you know, we try to figure that out. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. Joe said to me today, he says, I don't even know my own kids. To, to an extent. You don't know, because same thing. You, my, I said, that's a great point, Joe. My kids, who I thought were aces growing up, well, they make stupid mistakes, right? And they're going to get themselves in trouble. Same thing with a kid that goes out there. You think he's going to be this and that, and all of a sudden he goes out and he makes a dumb mistake. And it costs him. So you're not going to know the kids to the extent that we would like to. But we are hoping that when they have that mental toughness and that strong fortitude to be able to get through adversity and get through the grind because baseball is a grind. I know our job as a scout is a grind. No, we see, you know, when these guys are amateurs, when they say they go to games, we'll go between 250, 250 and 300 games a year. Easy. You know, one year I did, I started counting and I lost, I lost the book of over 220. And, you know, we don't see all, every inning of all those games. So Billy said earlier, we'll go to a game, we'll go to one spot, there'll be 10 teams playing there at one time, you'll see five games every three hours. You'll see 15 games in a day. You know, parts of it. And then you got to try to say, hey, well, I really like that guy. You go back at him, and you try to find more about him, and so on and so forth. So you definitely have to have the physical skills, but I think a lot of the mental part of it is going to have to match up with the physical skills. They might disagree, but... Showcases are a big part now of... Uh, a lot of organizations put a lot on on the showcases, and and, and how, how do you feel about that? I mean, you know, where we. I'm not a showcase person. I disagreed with it from the day it started. And the reason. Explain, maybe. So, okay, so. what a showcase is, is players are brought in from different areas under one roof, and they'll run a 60-yard dash, and they'll throw from the outfield, and they'll take batting practice, and the pitcher, they'll have a game, and the pitcher will throw one inning, and somebody else will throw another inning, and what has happened is 
a lot of the kids that have played, let's say, on your local American Legion teams or Babe Ruth teams or whatever, they're not playing on these teams anymore. The players today are not getting at bats. They're not learning the game. They're gearing themselves for these showcases. They're learning how to run as fast as they can and throw, but they're not learning the game. They're losing the instincts to play the game because they're not playing. They're not playing these games five and six days a week like we did when we, when we were growing up. So they're going every weekend. They're going, let's say, down to Florida. They're having a showcase in Massachusetts. They're having a showcase in New York someplace. And the reason they're doing this, the college coaches, first of all, that go to these things and the scouts will go to these things and they'll bring in the scouting directors or whoever it might be, they can see everybody under one roof at one time. And if you throw 95 miles an hour, you may have no feel for pitching whatsoever, but they're looking at that radar gun velocity. They're not looking for movement. They're not looking at mechanics. They're looking at the velocity and the kid will move up the chart. And to me, that's not pitching. I, I, I can take somebody off the street and, and ask them, just tell me how many times they hit 90. Just put a little X next to it, 90 or 91, 92. My biggest pet peeve with young scouts today when I ask them, how did Joe Smith throw? The first words out of their mouth is velocity. I'll say, how did Joe Smith throw? Oh, 91 and 93. I said, I didn't ask you how hard he threw. How did he throw? How was his mechanics? Did his ball have movement? Was it down in the zone? Where was it? You know, did he throw strikes? Was he wild? Velocity I'm not concerned with at this point. But the very first thing you're getting from a lot of people is the velocity. And that's what they're looking for at these showcases. And, and same thing with running speed or things like that. And clubs invest a lot of money in some of these players. And they find out after they've signed these kids that they don't have instincts for the game and they don't know how to play the game. And it, it's become a problem over the years. I mean, what do you no, say? I think that's a great explanation. I don't want to you know, repeat anything as far as that. really covered the pitching-wise, but showcases have some value in the sense that, you know, uh, in, on the position side, basically it tells you the tools to play the game. I mean, football, you, you, you notice it as they, they call it the combine where they run the players and they, the quarterbacks throw and the runners run, they do agility tests. Well, in baseball, basically when you talk about tools, physical tools to play the game, a uh, position player, you're going to run, feel, throw, hit, and hit with power. So when you go to a showcase, they will run you, see how fast you run. They will throw you from the outfield, see how far you can throw. They will uh, throw you, hit you some ground balls to see how you feel. So you can excel in some of the tools but then, okay, it, give, it tells us that you can do the tools well, and now you put them in a game, and they realize they cannot play the game. So the tools aren't translating to playing. I mean, in a similar situation, I can hammer a nail, but don't ask me to build a, a bookshelf, because don't hire me as a carpenter, I'll tell you that right now. But can I hammer a nail, and can I measure, and I can do some of the tools that maybe a carpenter does? Yeah, but I can't, I can't be a carpenter. I'm saying right now, so don't hire me. But you know, uh, you know, so you have the tools to play, and so, a lot of times they translate, but sometimes a lot of times they don't, and that's what happens in uh, a lot of these showcases. Like Billy said it very well, and that is, they start to train for the showcase, 
and not train for the game. And, you know, there are a lot of games that are not being played. And like I say, I guess our, I agree with Billy as far as being a pet peeve. Somebody who's now been scouting for a long time, when you talk to young scouts, they strictly maybe look at a gun reading or a stopwatch. And that's certainly there, but like, you know, I think one of the examples that he may have mentioned was like, you know, that, that player, Rich Aurelia, that the other scout saw. I remember scouting a little bit as well. He wasn't the fastest shortstop. He wasn't the slickest fielder. Didn't have the greatest range. But, you know, he, he played the game well. Yeah. I think a Cardinal back in uh, 2006 was... Eckstein? Uh, Eckstein, yeah. Just right? enough. Just enough. I mean, he played shortstop. He did not have a very good arm. He did not run well. His fielding, his range was just so-so at shortstop. Wasn't a big power guy, but he hit enough. Just And he threw the ball just enough to first base, and he was the MVP of the World Wasn't Series. Wasn't he a Rule 5 guy? He, uh, he was a guy yeah. that, that he was a, he was a uh, late draft yeah. by the Red Sox, and he ended up with us. Like, and, uh, but he was a player that if you took him out for the tools, you probably found a lot of people yeah. that ran better and threw better. But when it came to playing the game, he was the MVP of the World yeah. Series. And he did a great job for us that year. And, you know, same thing with, uh, you know, like here's an example. I'll just bring up, if we talked about Jason Mott. I mean, did I recommend that if he couldn't catch and hit and we put him on the mound? Yes. Provided he threw strikes, I thought he would have some success. But if you're going to tell me that I know he was going to throw strikes and become the relief pitcher that finished off the World Series? No, I couldn't tell you that. But he did have a good tool. He could throw very hard and very well, and you know it, it did translate. So there was an example that it translates. So you like that toolbox, that you like that skill set, but that doesn't always translate. I mean, another example could be you know the SAT scores for college, right? The, the SAT score says that you should be able to do the work. Well, then there shouldn't be any college dropouts, right? But when they go, they you know something happened that it didn't translate because he was supposed to do well and didn't do well. So, you know, see how it goes. One of the things I like to add on that is Billy just grazed by it. They don't learn to be teammates. Mm -hmm. They don't learn how to play the game together because they're only playing a couple innings. They don't know how to communicate on the field. Mm -hmm. And I'm guilty of it because I help coach one of the teams. I, uh, the East Coast Pro Showcase, I do the pitching of it. You sit in the bullpen and listen to these guys and try to, you know, what's your philosophy about pitching, you know, what, about how are you going to get this guy up? I ask guys in the bullpen, one of the biggest questions I ask them, how do you get A-Rat out there? Oh, I don't. Let me think about it. I never thought about it. Well, you're a pitcher. Who? How are you going to get Johnny out at the plate? you got to have a game plan. These guys, oh, you see all those scouts up there? they got that radar gun. i got to throw hard. Yeah, they want to see velocity. They want to see you get people out. They want to see how you're going to compete on the mound and what you got. Showcases, a lot of times... Don't do that for the kids. And the more showcases you go to, the more money you pay, the higher up the rankings you go, and everybody says, hey, did you go see that kid in such and such? Yeah, so we can't play a leg. Yeah. But he's ranked 14th in the country. Yeah. You know, and going back to what we're talking about, in 1984, as he said, I drafted Jamie Moyer in the sixth round. There is no way I could get him in the sixth round today. Scouting has changed. The people that are running the clubs, their thoughts have changed. He's not lighting up that radar gun. I'd probably get him. I drafted him his junior year. 
I would probably get him as a senior draft for $1,000 in probably the 30th or 40th round because I would sit and yell, hey, I like this kid. He has a feel for pitching. So they would take him way down the line. But because he doesn't light up that radar gun, he would never go in the sixth round today. Good point. Do you feel uh, that the the level of play since you were here two years ago is about the same in the area? And this may be a pipe dream on my part, but, you know, with all the concerns about the injuries that football players are getting from the young age on, you think that might uh, 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 push an uptick in people uh, playing baseball? You're the amateur scout. (laughs) (laughs) Two years ago, New York City, New York City in general, was okay. I I, I drafted a kid out of. uh, There was a few kids drafted. I drafted a boy out of GW. This year, the city is going to be okay. Last year was a down year. This year, it's it's okay. There's some kids around that can play. All right. Today, go to the other thing you're talking about showcases. Majority of these kids in the city can't afford to do these showcases. Who goes sees? Somebody, Billy brought up some of these young scouts. They're computer guys. Their name's not in the computer. They're not going to go see them. Yeah. So some kids get overlooked. City of nine, ten million people. You know, it took me two hour, two and a half hours to get here from Westchester the last time I tried to get down here. <laughs> and I got stuck by fire trucks and you name it. Murphy's Law happened. So it's tough to get what well, we said two games a day. Sometimes it's yeah. tough to get to one game a day in New York. But the city is on an uptick this year compared to where it was last year. But, but, you know, it runs in cycles. I've seen it for years. You'll have some good years where you have plenty of players drafted from an area, and you'll have some years where you just don't have any players. It's just just the way it runs. Joe? Well, I think there's no doubt that it's cyclical. But one of the things I I do think that, well, there's two things. Number one, I think the athletes are better athletes today than we play. They're, they're the training that has gone on at the lower levels, you know, the, the uh, you know the emphasis on training and and uh, it has gotten more players better. But I also think that the world's gotten smaller, and that is because of the different showcases. A lot of the, the northern kids have now become exposed to these different showcases, and also that some of them are now go, they'll go to a southern school as a, a Southern college. If you don't draft them as a high school player, then because the world is kind of tightened up a little bit, they'll go to maybe a college down south with a little warmer weather and uh, and go through. We've had a lot of few players think about, uh, say, for example, off the top of my head, Pittsburgh Pirate third baseman, Pedro Alvarez. Horace Mann, yeah. yeah. Horace Mann High School yeah. and uh, went to Vanderbilt you know, and ended up being the number one pick. So, you know, a lot of we've, we've got some great athletes here. Great athletes in the city, great athletes in the Northeast. But, like I say, they've been discovered. Okay? They know that uh, there are other places to play as well. Billy? Well, I would agree with Joe because you would, years ago when I started scouting, the big powerhouses in the Northeast were St. John's and Seton Hall. And because of these showcases, as Joe was said, a lot of these kids are leaving the area. Where St. John's, let's say, would have kids hidden here in the Northeast in New York or or up in New England. Now these kids leave the air and it makes it that much tougher for them to recruit. Well, we're coming to the end of the podcast. We're going to turn to questions. 
But for the podcast, I want to thank you guys for making this another memorable evening. Billy Blitzer, Joe Bowles, and the students.